Sure, Jesus loves me, but that's not what I need. I need healing from COVID or something like that. And folks, we have to look past these things that happen. And we have to see the loving hand of God. He knows what he's doing. He makes no mistake. Tonight, as I mentioned, I, I wanted to speak on this certain subject. Uh, what, what do we do? What, what do you do when life hands you a lemon? And I thought it was appropriate because we're coming up now to the end of this year. In two and a half weeks, it's Christmas. One week later, we're into 2022. It's just science fiction, if you ask me, that we should be in looking down the barrel at 2022. I mean, I thought the world was going to end at Y2K, you know, just about 22 years ago. We're thinking, oh man, we're, we're turning a, you know, a whole new millennium here. And uh, of course, a lot of the uh, prophets of doom predicted how, you know, Y2K, the computers would crash and it would bring planes down from the sky. And they painted quite a picture, you know. Well, as we all know, at least I hope we all know, it didn't happen. And the Lord didn't come back at Y2K or 2001 or 2 or 3. And here we are 22 years later. And it's just wild if you ask me. But that's just my opinion. However, <clears throat> we, uh, we live day by day. And the day, that, day and age that we're living in, uh, we're, we're facing a crazy world and things are, are happening that uh, we may not... We may not like very much. And so um, during these days, it's easy for things to go kind of wrong. This, uh, this expression in English, when, when you get handed a lemon, when life hands you a lemon, that's an interesting expression. And in my research, it goes back to a British slang of 1906. So it's well over 100 years old, this, this expression. And it means... To, to give something worthless uh, as if it were valuable, but it's worthless. And sometimes life does that to us. Uh, you get up one day and before you know it, you know, there's a phone call or an email or someone comes to visit you and, and all of a sudden there's a little bit of bad news or something and things aren't looking too good. And you know, life is sometimes strange that way with its twists and turns and circumstances in life can sometimes even be cruel. I remember back in the 80s, it was the actor Christopher Reeve who really brought the person of Superman to the big screen. And I remember the advertisements um, that this movie will really make you think a man could fly. And they used back in the 80s, high tech for the 80s anyhow. And they really did a good job of it, I think. But here Christopher Reeve was this amazing actor, a big tall guy, and he had the ability to sort of almost change personalities from Clark Kent to Superman. And he could do that seemingly effortlessly. And so he was hailed as a uh, like an actor hero kind of thing. And he was an overnight uh, success. He was known as Superman. Well, a few years later in 1995, while riding a horse, he fell. And he hit his head and something snapped in his neck. And he became a quadriplegic. And so the world was in shock and horror that Superman had taken a fall. 
And so there's Christopher Reeve, you know, and they showed pictures of him with tubes and everything um, in his body in the hospital bed and big tubes to help him to breathe and so on. And finally, um, I guess about, I don't know, a, a year later or within that year, he was uh, healthy enough to be able to speak to the press and he said, I will walk again. I'm a, para- I'm a quadriplegic. That means all four, right? He said, but I will walk again. Sadly, he didn't. Sadly, what happened was he died in 2004. And then very shortly after, his wife died as well. I kind of think she died of a broken heart. But here, here were two people that seemed to have it made. And everywhere he went, he was hailed as Superman. And then very quickly, in an instant, he falls from a horse and his life changed forever. And uh, his, his hopes and everything, they were all dashed. Well, praise the Lord, nothing like that has happened to us. At least not yet. That may be an extreme example, but, you know, what do you do? What do you do when uh, you wake up the next day and all of a sudden... Things aren't the way they ought to be. And life sort of hands you a lemon. Things sometimes crumble slowly. Things sometimes crumble quickly. Both can happen. Things that crumble slowly might be your car slowly falling apart. And it requires more and more repairs. A house will do that too. Uh, Doors and windows and the shingles and so on. Your finances can slowly erode relationships with people can slowly crumble and it even can happen to church uh, families as well things that crumble quickly could mean maybe the loss of a job you go to work and then you're called into the manager's office and told that in two weeks um, you're going to have to find another job you're being given your notice a death of a loved one can happen quickly and of course that can be very devastating an accident. Uh, Christopher Reeve had an accident. You could have a car. Any of us could have a car accident. Uh, maybe tonight or this week. Um, being robbed. Going home and finding out that you've been robbed. That's a horrible thing. But uh, these are things that, that can happen to us. Looking back on the year 2021. We, uh, we're not done with COVID yet. Um, we've struggled with COVID-19 and then came the Delta variant and now the Omicron variant and who knows what's going to come in 2022. We, we don't know. And so uh, governments being what they are, um, we got all got slapped with certain restrictions, masks being one of them. And um, what do you do? How do we cope? Well, that's what I think we ought to take a look at, the scriptural principles What do we do when life hands you a lemon? So let's begin with a word of prayer. And I've got two or three points I want to share with you tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know the end from the beginning. There's nothing that takes you by surprise. We're the ones that get surprised sometimes from day to day. Show us and teach us tonight what we can do, what we ought to do. Father, I don't know if any of your people in Grace Baptist Church here have felt this Uh, that life has handed them a lemon, that something that they were counting on has fallen apart, or maybe some bad news out of the blue. 
Lord, I don't know, but you know all about it. And I pray you would strengthen and comfort those hearts. And for maybe those of us who will be experiencing a lemon, maybe even before this year is out, please give us the wisdom how to properly respond. To your honor and glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'd like you now to take your Bible and open up to the Gospel of John. And I'd like to suggest to you point number one. And I think this is the most important point here. It's uh, don't lose your faith, your faith and trust in God. When things happen, and they do, sometimes they're just little things, they're irritant, but sometimes there's something big And when something big happens, the old devil's right there to try and tempt you and tempt me to stop trusting in God. The devil tells us that God can't be trusted. His promises don't work anymore or something like that. Now, John chapter 6, and I'd like you please to, uh, well, notice first this comes right on on the heels here of the feeding of the 5,000. And the people were fed right up with all of the fish sandwiches they could handle. And there were 12 baskets picked up as well. And so after this, this big crowd of people comes after Jesus. And he starts to talk to them. He starts to preach to them. And uh, they didn't like his preaching. And so, verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now pause for a moment. The use of the term disciple simply in this case just means a follower. It doesn't mean these people were saved at all. Thousands and thousands of them were following Jesus. And they were, quote, disciples. Sort of following him. But when they came and he started preaching to them the truth, they decided they didn't like his preaching. And so they turned and they didn't follow him anymore. So, verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Now, this was uh, a real lemon day for the disciples, the twelve disciples. Uh, The Lord Jesus knew this was coming. So, for Jesus, it was probably a sadness too. But he, being God, knew what was coming down the pipe. And he knew that these people were only following him for the, the free bread and the miracles that they could get out of him. And that's sad. Sometimes, you know, when you know a young guy or girl is in high school and they get a car, you know, before they get the car, no one looks at them even. They're very unpopular. But as soon as they get a car, all of a sudden they're popular. And they have all of these uh, new friends. Well, when the car goes, so do the friends. People who come into a large amount of money all of a sudden have friends And sometimes new relatives that they never even knew existed. They show up out of the woodwork. I pity the people who win these big lottos and mega lottos. There's one thing worse than winning a million dollar lotto. And that's winning a hundred million dollar lotto. It just gets worse. And uh, the stress and the pressure and how the devil uses that. One third right now. No, pardon me, two thirds. Of uh, all people who win the lotto, they lose it. It's all gone within five years. It's all gone. And the other third, while they have struggles too, very, very few people can actually live 
with that big windfall and not let it um, change their lives too much. But it does. It does change lives. And not always for the good. So um, here the disciples, they must have been excited when they saw 10,000 people come to the church services and Jesus was, you know, handing out the fish sandwiches and so on. But then when they came again and Jesus started preaching to them that they needed him as their Messiah, they didn't like what he said. And so they turned and walked away. And all of a sudden, these 12 disciples said, what? Because they were expecting the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus was presenting himself as the, the, the king. And uh, the, the millennial kingdom is what they were waiting for. The kingdom of David. And so when all these people walked away, it was a crushing blow for the 12 disciples left over. And so Jesus turns to them and says, Will ye also go away? Verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art Christ. Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And so here we have the, the story of people who were following Jesus with a very flimsy faith. And uh, you know something? Convictions that you hold loosely will be lost easily. Anything you hold on to loosely, don't expect to win in a fight with the devil. The things that are right and true need to be held on to firmly, a firm grasp on these things. Now, 11 of the 12 disciples, we know Judas, he had his mind on the kingdom and a position in the kingdom, and when it didn't pan out, he finally said, I'm out of here, and he sold out the Savior. But the other 11 they hung in there with Jesus. And it was those that Jesus used to get the church going. So uh, what we learn here is don't lose your faith. When something traumatic happens, if you were to lose a loved one or lose your job or, or I don't know, get robbed or your, your car gets stolen or something, you know, you get your bubble popped. The devil is there to get you to let go of your your love, your trust, your faith, your belief in the Lord. There are a lot of people today who are actually saved, but they're not in church today. They haven't been in church for a long time, for years. Why? Because the devil was able to pop their balloon and they took it, you know, a horrible way and they blamed God and they said, well, I'm out of here. And they haven't been back to church since. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They're mad at God. They're upset with God. That's sad, you know. But that's what makes the devil happy. And so this first point is so important. Um, let's uh, look to the right here, to the book of Romans. Go to the book of Romans with me. Chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. You know, there's a lot of people in the scriptures that um, seem to have a faith in God or a following of God, but then they sort of turn their back on God. Uh, two of them that come to mind, uh, one of them would be Lot's wife. Remember, 
Lot was mixed, really messed up, mixed up in everything. He was in the Sodom, this horrible town. He shouldn't have been there. And Sodom was like a mixture of Hollywood and Vegas. It was just a corrupt, vile, horrible place. And so that's where Lot wanted to live because of the business opportunities. And so he actually was able to move up the corporate ladder a little bit, and he was sitting in the gate, which was a place of position. And uh, so when the two angels came, they said, come on, you got to get out of here. God's going to destroy the place. So they, they tarried, they dragged their heels and so on until the angels had to grab them and drag them out of the city. And so they were running out of the city and Lot's wife stopped and turned back with longing in her heart towards Sodom. And she was turned to a pillar of salt. So there's an example there of someone who's turned back. Demas in the New Testament. Demas, who was right in there with the Apostle Paul, got disillusioned. And he turned, turned and left the Apostle Paul. Even John Mark, at one point, on the very first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas had, they had John Mark with them. And John Mark, after a few weeks, I guess, of the first missionary journey, boy, he'd seen a bunch of things. He said, I can't take this. And he took off. And he went back home, like almost with his tail between his legs. And so that didn't go over so well with the Apostle Paul. Um, Job went through terrible, terrible time. And his wife offered him counsel. Curse God and die. Now maybe she was saying it to try and put him out of his misery. But still, he said to her, you're speaking like one of the foolish women. And really she was. The bigger picture is God is still in control. God is still a God of love, even though we get our bubble burst. He is still a God of love. Now we're in Romans chapter 8. Look at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword we could even add, or COVID, or Omicron, or Delta. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Never forget that we are sort of like aliens in this world. The world doesn't love God. The world is at enmity with God. And here we come. We love God. We love Jesus. He's in our hearts. We're looking forward to being home with him in heaven one day. And so because of our love for the Lord Jesus, the world now doesn't like us. That's normal. It's always been that way. So, verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, that's anything else you can possibly think of that goes wrong, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You might be saying, well, what good is that? You know, sure, Jesus loves me, but that's not what I need. I need money. Sure, Jesus loves me, but that's not what I need. I need my car fixed. So, sure, Jesus loves me, but that's not what I need. I need healing from COVID or something like that. And folks, we have to look past these things that happen. And we have to see the loving hand of God. He knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. You know, humans that love us, 
there are things that can happen that would separate us from the love of those humans. Sometimes it's even a mother or father who turns their back on a child. Maybe that child doesn't meet up to expectations. And the mother or father says, Oh, you're not my child. You flunk out in school. You strike out in baseball. You know, you're no good. And a lot of kids, sadly, have been raised hearing those words from mom or dad. You're no good. You'll never be any good. You'll never amount to anything. You could never do anything. You never will be anything. You're hopeless. You're useless. Imagine growing up like that. And there are adults today who have been uh, told things like that by their moms and dads or brothers and sisters or, or, the, or their teachers at school or something. And it affects them. It affects them severely. And that's why the Bible tells us that we need to bring up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They need to be brought up with lots of love, proper, proper discipline, don't get me wrong, but lots of love, family times, reassurance, understanding. Children need that. Maybe now, these days, more than ever, because of the, wicked, the wickedness of the world, in my opinion, has gotten worse. It seems to have come out of the closets more and more. And so we have a God who cares. Back in 1860, Frank uh, Graf was born. And Frank was a, you know, a happy-go-lucky kind of a guy. And he um, got saved. He went into the ministry. And he always, always had a smile on his face. And he had a real winsome kind of a charisma about him. And he just drew people. People liked to be around Frank Graff. And so um, the devil said, we'll do something about that. And the devil put Frank Graff through a series of crushing heartaches. And this was something that Frank just wasn't used to. And it, it nearly destroyed him. But his faith in God, his faith in God is what got him through. And he sat down and he wrote a hymn, which is in our hymn books, and it's blessed millions of people. Here are the words that Frank wrote. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth and song. As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, 
I know my Savior cares. Boy, that, that hymn has comforted and strengthened my heart more than once over the years. But you see, we wouldn't have that hymn. We wouldn't have the blessings of that hymn if it hadn't have been for the experiences that Frank Graff went through. It's important, this first point, it's important we do not lose our faith and trust in an almighty God. Even though the clouds may come and, you know, we, He seems like He's cut off from us or we're cut off from Him. He's still there. He's never left. And He never will leave. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Well, of course, we have promises from God and we must not lose faith in His promises. God makes promises. It was Sarah, Abraham's wife, when Sarah was in the tent and God said to Abraham, about this time next year, you're going to have a baby. Sarah did what? what? What did Sarah do? Who remembers? She laughed. She laughed. And she didn't believe it. That was the laugh. And then, of course, when God confronted her, she denied it. If she had been laughing sort of, hooray, I'm going to have a baby, she wouldn't have denied that. But she laughed saying, oh yeah, right, me. Come on, you know, 90 years of age, I'm not going to have a baby. And she laughed. It was funny to her. Once in a while, my wife looked at each other and said, do you think we could start all over again? What if you got pregnant and had a baby? <laughs> you want to see my wife laugh? <laughs> That's not going to happen. My name's not Abraham and her name's not Sarah. But in the book of Hebrews, it's very interesting because in chapter 11, that's the, the chapter of faith. Sarah changed. And it says that Sarah judged him, God, faithful to what he promised. Now, I haven't said the verse exactly the way it says, but he judged him to be faithful in his promise. Sarah judged God faithful. It's as if in her mind, in her heart, she put God on trial. Is God faithful to this promise? Is he not faithful to this promise? She had no Bible to go to. She had her husband to talk to, and they, they had seen some miracles in their few years. But she came to a point of believing and trusting, yes, he is faithful. He will Come through on this promise. And that's what you and I need to do. The promise of God. That they that wait upon the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall rise up. With wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a promise of God. The devil doesn't want you and I. To trust in those promises. That's why this point number one. Is so important. When things go wrong. When life hands you a lemon. The first thing is don't lose your faith. Don't lose your trust in God, in His love, and in His promises. So important. And so when you do that, then you're able to, by faith, thank God. Because you know there's a scripture that says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So that means you give him thanks when you get a paycheck, raise, hooray. You give him thanks when you lose your job. 
and you're shedding tears. Lord, I don't understand why. I've been a good employee, but for some reason. But Lord, I give you thanks. I've got to tell you this story. When I was in Bible college, the president of the Bible college told us this story that happened, oh, maybe 15 years before. Anyhow, back in the 60s, this thing happened. He was pastoring a church down in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. And one of the younger men, <clears throat> a college-age man, uh, in his church had a job at a hotel. And he had like the midnight shift job. So he'd come on at midnight and be off at 8. And this was a great job for him. He was able to get some studying done as well. And he made money. And this was a perfect job for him. Well, uh, the hotel had a, a bar in it. And the bar closed at like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or something. So it was never a problem. But the hotel sold and had new management come in. They gathered all the employees together. And they said, now we've, we're making some changes. And one of the changes is the bar is going to be open 24 hours. And so if one of the hotel guests wants some liquor, then you, you're going to have to deliver it to them, be it 2 in the morning or whenever. And this young Christian man raised his hand and said, Sir, I have a problem with that because I'm a Christian. And the manager said, Okay, uh, you're fired. And promptly fired him like that. And he was just thunderstruck. What's he going to do? He called up his pastor, who ended up being the president of my Bible college. And his pastor told him, Listen, you've, you've done right. You haven't made a mistake. You've stood upon good principles of the Word of God. You know, to have nothing to do with liquor. He said, God will look after you. He said, okay, pastor. And uh, sure enough, God gave him another job. He found another job. But two weeks after, two weeks after he got fired, the pastor was uh, in his office and uh, looking at the, uh, the newspaper, the, the, the headlines, and the phone rang. And he picks up the phone and it's this young man. He says, Pastor, have you seen the news? And the pastor told him, Yes, I'm looking at it right now. I can't believe it. Here's what happened. Uh, a couple of weeks after, I mean, this just happened. This was just headline news. So it would have happened like that previous night. At that hotel, uh, a robber came in. It was after midnight and there was just the, the young man, the, the replacement. The Christian guy got fired. The hotel hired on a new young man. There was him and there was the girl on the counter, just the two of them. And this guy comes in with a gun and he's really nervous and he points the gun at him and says, get down on the floor. And they both got right down on the floor. Face down, they got face down. And then he went to the cash register and he opened it and he took out the money. And he says, don't you move. And he turned and went toward the door. And then for some reason that no one knows, he stopped and came and he pointed the gun at the back of the head of the young man and pulled the trigger and killed him instantly. And then he fled out of the hotel. Well, here it is, front, front page headline news where this young guy in the hotel, the hotel night clerk, shot and killed. And the young man had the pastor on the phone and says, Pastor, that could have been me. And his pastor said, yeah, I know. God protected you when you got fired. God was protecting you. God knows what tomorrow holds. 
And if He allows for us to lose our job today, it's because He knows He's protecting and He's going to give us something else. And so by faith, we need to learn to give God thanks for the things we don't understand. If you want to overcome the devil, start giving God thanks for the things that aren't going so good. Because when the things don't go so good, that's when the devil tries to gnaw at you and eat away at you and get you to grind your teeth and grind your guts and take away your sleep and so on. And you're wondering, why me? Why me? Why do these things always happen to me? And what am I going to do now? And oh no. And that's when the devil's happy. But you start by faith because you don't feel like it. That's why it's by faith. You give God the thanks. Lord, I don't understand why I've suffered these losses. But I know you know because you love me. You've promised me in Romans 8. Nothing will separate me from your love. And so by faith, I thank you. And you will sleep better. And you will be at peace. And the devil will be the one wringing his hands. Ah, where did we go wrong? So point number one. And I've labored this a bit. But don't lose your faith in God. Point number two is look for new possibilities. Look for new possibilities. And this is where it starts to get a little fun and exciting. Turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Would you do that, please? Turn to the book of Daniel. See if you can find it before I do. Daniel chapter 1. I'm in chapter 5, chapter 3, chapter 2, chapter 1 of Daniel. There it is. We have here... The story, starting in verse 8, and this is a familiar story, I think, to most everyone. I hope you have your Bible tonight, and I hope you're looking it up. Always come to church with your Bible. Chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the story goes on where Daniel and his three fellows, his three friends, they says, well, give us pulse to eat. It's like beans or Wheaties or something like that. They said, we don't want to eat this rich food from the king because it's been offered to idols and I know it's all good, you know, healthy, lots of stuff in it and so on, but we don't want it because it's been offered to pagan idols. Give us just Wheaties or something, something very basic like pulse. Give us that and water to drink and prove us now. Prove us 10 days and see what happens. And so what we've got here are new possibilities. And what ended up happening was God blessed their step of faith and at the end of 10 days, when the prince of the eunuchs, because he had charge over all of these special guys that were being fed all this special food, and he saw Daniel and his three friends, and they looked a whole lot healthier than these other guys. And that was God's doing. And so they won a great victory that day. God took something that was bad and turned it into something really good. God loves to do that sort of thing. Bill and Kathy Rice were a godly couple. And back in the 50s, they uh, had a little baby girl. 
And Bill, Bill Rice was serving the Lord as an evangelist. He loved the Lord, him and his wife both. They'd given their hearts to, to Jesus and were in full-time service. And their little daughter developed meningitis. And um, she, uh, she got really bad. And high fever. And she went totally deaf. She lost her hearing because of it. Now, what some... Christian couples would have done is they would have cried out against God and said, why did you do this? We, we trusted you. You gave us this girl. Now look what you did. But that's not what Bill and Kathy did. Although their hearts were heavy, they were broken because of the deafness of their daughter. They put it back in the Lord's hands and they trusted the Lord. And what God did was he used the deafness of their little girl so that in 1953, they started the Bill Rice Ranch, Ministry to Deaf People. And that has been going great guns all these many, many years. And they have won so many deaf people to the Lord. And so many people in full-time ministry today can trace it back to the Bill Rice Ranch. And God has done incredible miracles through the Bill Rice Ranch because of Bill and Kathy Rice. You know, in Canada, we had an example of something like this. Um, it wasn't in the Christian world per se, but it was in this world. It was right local too. It was back in the 80s, a young man named Terry Fox. I'm sorry, in the 70s, 1976, 1976, Terry Fox. He was just a teenager. He got into a car accident and he ended up losing his leg, but infection had set in and of course you know it became cancerous you all know the terry fox story right and so here terry fox decides he's going to raise a million dollars for cancer research and he decided he was going to run across canada the terry fox run i was in bible college when all this was was happening and uh wow we thought you know here's a hero this guy terry fox and of course he didn't live to see his dream come true. He died. But because of his convictions and what he wanted to do, I think they've raised now over a billion. I don't know the exact figures, but it's got to be over a billion, capital B, billion dollars that they have raised for cancer research. But it's just an example to show you that when something goes wrong, as things sometimes do, it's not the end. Look for new possibilities. Now, what might God do with this? So that's why we have to put these things into God's hands. Look for new ways to trust God. Look for new ways to claim His promises. Look for new possibilities in advancement and achievement. Someone once said, the knife that cuts also spreads. In 1666, Isaac Newton apparently got hit in the head with an apple. That got him thinking, and apparently, this is what history says, he figured out the laws of gravity because of that. In 1762, a young guy named James was watching a steam kettle whistle. And his name was James Watt. And from that, 
he figured out how to make a steam engine, the very first steam engine, which was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. In 1977, a young Christian man by the name of Ronald had an eye infection, and it got bad, and he went and had to have surgery. He ended up losing his eye. And so he uh, put a patch on it. And some of the, the younger kids at his church asked him, he said, you look like a pirate. And they started calling him Patch the Pirate. Now, his name was Ron Hamilton. And he wrote a lot of great songs and great ministry. Back in 1928, a Christian man by the name of Oswald J. Smith wanted to be a missionary but couldn't. The doors kept closing, so he decided, if I can't be a missionary, then I'll start a church and I'll send missionaries. And he started the People's Church in Toronto. And they have blazoned the trail. In fact, it was Oswald J. Smith who's considered to be sort of the, the discoverer of the faith promise principles of supporting missionaries. Well, let's move on quickly to our last point. And for this, we'll go to the left. You're in Daniel. Turn to the book of Job. Job chapter 42. So find Psalms, and before Psalms, you'll find Job chapter 42. Now, we all are familiar with Job. And boy, what a, a set of trials and troubles he went through. Very true. Um, but we come to chapter 42... And here he's now at the end, and God is talking to him. And in chapter 42, uh, Job now answers the Lord, and he said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Now Job was a good man, he was a righteous man, but he got kind of caught off in left field with his trials and tribulations. And he started to sort of grumble against God. And then finally, God kind of pulled the curtain a little bit and showed him, Job, you need to trust me. I know far, far more than you. Now that's just my brief summary. And then Job says, you're right, Lord. You know, I spoke without thinking. So here, Job learned from his experience. There may be some important lesson that you can learn from your experience from that lemon of an experience. Uh, Jonah learned, hopefully, from his experience. Uh, a preacher that I know, and he'd be in his late 80s now, if he's even still alive, I'm not sure. He may have gone home to be with the Lord, but his name was uh, Dr. Ron Bowman. And Dr. Ron Bowman came to the Bible college where I was at, I think it was in 1980, and he preached, and we listened to his, his life story. 
He was an amazing guy, and God had really used him. He went to a little town called Minster, Ohio, a little Catholic town of 2,000 Catholics. The population was 2,000. He went there as, as an independent Baptist. He started a church, and the church grew to 2,000. They called it the Miracle of Minster. And so he was telling us some of the great things God was doing, and we were all just amazed. But then he told us his life story, how God got him into the ministry, and that wasn't so great. And it was a story on how his boy you know, started to get sick. And his wife said, honey, you know, our boy is sick. And he said, no, 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 he just, he just needs new shoes. That's all he needs. His plan, you see, what Ron Bowman had done was he was so happy and proud of his little boy that he kind of put his little boy in between him and God. And when you put someone or something in between you and God, God may chasten you and have to take that thing away. And so that's why some people get bitter at God. And God had been calling Ron Boldman to the full-time ministry, and he was resisting. He says, no, I, you know, I'll get there, Lord, one of these days, but I, you know, I want to be a, an architect. I want to make something of my life and make a bunch of money and make a nice home for the family and raise the kids. And then after that, then you know, I'll go in the ministry. And God was calling him, no, I want you in the ministry. And so God was making his boy sick. And this took a period of months, not days, but months. And he was watching his little boy wither away. And in and out of the hospital, he went with the boy over a period of time. And it wasn't getting better at all. And in his heart, Ron knew God was calling him. Ron, will you come? Will you come? Will you follow me? And he was still holding out, still resisting. And then one night, his, he heard his wife scream. He's not breathing. And they raced him to the hospital. And they put the little boy on machines and everything. And he and his wife were in the waiting room, you know, panicking, frantic, just fearing the worst. And it was nighttime. And a storm was brewing. And something that we don't see too much of around here is lightning. But where they were in the city in the States, it was starting to rain. And Ron was standing at the, the glass window there of the waiting room. And, you know, the tears were rolling down his, his cheeks because he knew God was talking to him. And the rain was hitting the glass. And he said, okay, God, if you, if you want them, you can have them. And he sort of surrendered his boy over to the Lord. And he says, if you want them, you can have them. And he said, at that moment, there was a crack of lightning. A few seconds later, the doctor came into the waiting room and, and shook his head. I'm sorry. And their hearts broke. But he knew that God was doing this. He believes that if he had listened, if he had obeyed the voice of God sooner, he would have still had his boy. Now, they had other children. God blessed them with other children. But God used that. You see, he put, he put his boy in between him and God. That's, you don't do that. Husbands, never put your wife in between you and God. Wives, never put your husband in between you and God. God will not play second. 
to a husband, a wife, or a child, or a job, or anything. God has to be first in our lives. So maybe there's some lesson, important lesson that God has for you in this lemon of an experience. And so it's very important that we, uh, we learn the lesson. Uh, last scripture, and we're done. But turn to the book of James, right after the book of Hebrews, close to the end of the New Testament. Go to the book of James, chapter number 1. In the Bible College uh, chapel service today, we dealt with these verses. And it, it comes to mind as being very appropriate. So please, right now, open up to James chapter 1. Don't miss this. Don't miss this blessing. James chapter 1. I'd like you to read out loud with me. Verses 2, 3, and 4. So open up your Bible to James chapter 1. Folks at home, you do this too. And you read out loud. Okay? Everyone ready? Chapter 1 of James, starting at verse 2. Let's read. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, you see, there's where we can learn lessons. And one more verse, verse number 5. Here's our secret weapon, verse 5. Read out loud. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If you need wisdom to get through your trial or testing or your lemon, God wants to give you all the wisdom you need. But we need to ask him. And so just uh, two or three um, points here for when life hands you a lemon. Don't lose your faith. Look for new possibilities. And look to see if there's any lesson, some life experience you can learn from it. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, thank you for the times when things don't go right. Thank you for the, the tough times, the trials and testings. Father, help us to realize that you, you know what you're doing, that you allow these things to perfect us and to make us better, not bitter. And so help us, everyone, to always keep you first and foremost in our hearts and lives. And again, Father, I pray for anyone here tonight in the auditorium or watching online who may be going through a very difficult experience that you would encourage them and comfort them and help them with these few thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.